podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, and today we're covering all 14, well, close to all 14. I'm your host, Philip Saban. Thank you for joining us for our National Signing Day Recap episode. This one is long. This might be the longest episode we have done since the old, old one-episode-a-week format way back in the uh, early days of the 10-12 podcast. Um, I am here. I have five fantastic guests on the show today. Nick Harris, uh, 247 Sports, who covers Texas and the state of Texas, is going to talk a little TCU, talk a little Texas, talk a little Kansas as well. Then our good friend Joe Broback from Pro Football Network is going to join us to talk about the four teams joining the conference in the future. That's Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, and UCF, plus just the National Signing Day insanity that was on Wednesday. My, oh, my, oh, my. An FCS team signed the number one player in the country. That was uh, that one said everything into a tizzy. Ben Golan from Rivals, Texas Tech site, Red Raider Sports, joins us to talk about the Red Raiders class. Cody Nagel of Go Pokes, the Oklahoma State 247 sites, joining us to talk about the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And finally, our good friend Eric, a.k.a. Silites, on Twitter is going to join us to break down the Iowa State recruiting class. So we've got specifics on Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech. We've got to talk about Texas, TCU, and Kansas specifically. Sorry, I can't get to everybody. Try and get as many guests on this show every year as possible. We do the best we can. This is a long one, so this intro is going to get wrapped up quick. Do us a favor. Go to 1012network.com, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. Check out all the shows in the network. Do us a favor. Go check out Home Field Apparel. Home Field Apparel, the home for the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will find anywhere. Guys, I don't know if your order now is going to get in in time for Christmas. I don't know. It might. I hope that it does. It might not. So if you want to give it a shot to do so, might I suggest you go place your order now. Don't forget to use the promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, to get 15% off your first order of amazingly comfortable t-shirts, sweaters, and hoodies. They've got Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Texas uh, Baylor. They've got a Cincinnati shirt now. They've also got shirts for Houston, UCF, BYU. Yeah, that's the other one. Go to Homefield Apparel. Use the promo code NETWORK12. Get 15% off your first order. All orders of $100 or more get free shipping. Do it now. Do it now. Do it now if you want to have any shot at getting that order under the tree on Christmas morning. Of course, you can always buy a gift card or you can just do printouts of what you bought them and just put that in an envelope and be like, they're coming. You're going to be excited. Homefieldapparel.com. Do us a favor, leave us a rating and review. Five stars, please. It does really, really help the show. Check out every show in the network. We got five guests. This is a long one. I love this episode. It is freaking awesome. Sit back, relax, and enjoy our National Signing Day for 2022 class recap starting now. All right, our first guest of the day. Uh, if we're going to talk recruiting and Big 12, I'm going to get this guy on. Very excited to have Nick Harris of 24-7 Sports joining us today, live from the uh, six-on-six state championship in Texas. Nick, uh, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, It's been a wild day so far. And here in Texas, it's it's pretty, uh, it's an interesting day because we can cover the state championships uh, for six-man football and do signing day at the same time here at AT&T Stadium. So it's one of my favorite days of the year. 
So if you hear anybody like in the background, folks, it's the announcers at the game at uh, something I didn't know existed, which is six on six football in the state of Texas uh, in a game that uh, literally had two touchdowns, and two onside kicks within like the last 30 seconds of the game. It's been weird. It's 46, 44 at halftime. I don't even know. I don't even know, but uh, we've got to, we're going to hit three teams here with Nick today, two from the state of Texas where uh, he knows things very well and, uh, and one other big 12 team. And I, I want to start there. Let's start with Kansas. I want to talk Kansas football a little bit. Um, I am, I'm very intrigued by what's going on in Lawrence. Now I, I've had some people kind of talk about criticism about the job that Lance Leipold has done in his first season. And it's hard to say first season, but first season is the head coach with his staff. You look at this 2022 class, it's ranked 10th in the Big 12, not shocking, uh, 96th nationally at the moment. They only have six guys who actually signed today. Uh, you've got one commit we can kind of talk about, um, but they also have five guys who are transferring in. I want to hit on that in just a minute. Um, you know, look, he came in late. He They haven't had a ton of time. It is Kansas. I mean, part of the reason Les Miles was really hired was to rebuild that roster. He did a pretty good job. Um, it is in the best state it's been since, I mean, Mangino's was there, I mean, more than a decade ago. But but looking at this class with just six signees, I mean, kind of speak to, is this a, a sign of concern for Kansas fans or is this just a byproduct of the timing of when they got there and and just kind of something else? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is a program that is going to have to hit the transfer portal pretty hard um, here here in the offseason, and they're doing it already. Uh, They already have five transfer signees, and, you know, a program like Kansas, who's been kind of a bottom dweller in the Big 12 for, you know, a while now, other than the the one year back in, I believe, 2007, where, you know, they were a national contender. But aside from that, you know, they have to rebuild this roster, you know, consistently with uh, high school talent. But now with the way the transfer portal is set up, they have kind of a different way of doing that. Um, and, and granted that they should still be tapping into high school talent, you know, six, six signees, I, I believe in a class is, you know, not ideal uh, for any power five school for any FBS school uh, in general. Um, you could look at a school like Texas state who has completely prioritized only using the transfer portal. And that has not worked out for them as far as recruiting. Um, so you have to, you know, bring in high school guys and build those relationships starting uh, at the high school level. And I think the departure of Emmett Jones really hurt, uh, their high school recruiting efforts. Um, him leaving to go back to Texas, uh, to go to Texas tech, to be the receivers coach for Joey McGuire, you know, they were really pulling kids out of Texas pretty frequently. And now they're not going to have that pipeline as strong anymore. And it's going to be even tougher to recruit the state of Texas now with Emmett Jones and the staff that Joey McGuire has built in Texas tech already there. And they, you know, they kind of pull from the same recruit pool, uh, you know, as well. Um, and then kind of looking at their signees right here, they only have one uh, signee from uh, Texas, uh, Joe Baker, the uh, South Lake Carroll offensive lineman. And then they also have Anthony Davis, who is a corner um, from Dallas Skyline. He's committed. He did not sign today. I don't expect him to sign today. But it, it, it's going to be – they're going to have to rebuild this this roster in the transfer portal 100%. And we'll, we'll see how that, that shakes out for them in the spring. I mean, I try not to judge – first-time head coaches on their first signing classes. We've seen a lot of guys who've come into schools and that that first class, especially since the transfer portal started and coaches getting in late and things now, it's just, it makes, it's hard to judge first and now, classes. And now, introducing the 2021 yeah, there you go. 2022 um, Mighty May Tiger Marching Band. And I, and I think it's a better, a better reflection the of the job that they're able to do if we can see what the class looks like in 2023. But you, you mentioned the transfers. Uh, 247 is finally rating uh, 
transfers and rating transfer classes. Right now, Kansas has the fourth-ranked transfer class with five different guys who are who are coming in. Um, you've got Eric Gilliard from UCF, a linebacker, offensive tackle Nolan. Um, I'm not even going to try to say his last name from Buffalo. Uh, you got safety Craig Young from Ohio State, running back Sevion Morrison, who I remember from Nebraska, and uh, a Kalen Gervin, cornerback from uh, Michigan State. Uh, a couple of these guys were four stars out of high school. I mean, just looking at this, how, you know, we talk about the transfer portal is, is how good is this transfer class for Kansas? You know, I, I think they're, you know, they feel pretty good about the the development staff that they have at Kansas um, and, the, and the staff that they've, you know, assimilated. Um, and Lance Leipold, he has a history of being able to develop guys, um, you know, at his previous stops at, at Buffalo and, and before uh, being able to develop these, you know, uh, lower tier recruits and make them into, um, you know, high profile guys. But even looking at the transfer portal, you got former four star recruits such as uh, Savion Morrison and Kalon Gervin who are going to be coming in, you know, with a little bit of chip on their shoulder. They still have that same talent level. They stay, they still have those same intangibles, but it's just going to be about, you know, finding, the, finding you know, uh, where, where to, you know, tap into that next level for them. You know, I believe in Lance Leipold's development. I think he's going to, you know, be able to turn transfers into legitimate players and legitimate contenders um, uh, for Kansas. And we kind of saw it this year. I mean, obviously, the win against Texas was the one that made uh, you know big headlines, but they were in a lot of games in conference play, whether it be against Oklahoma. Um, I'm blanking on a couple of others. I believe they were in uh, in the game against TCU and Texas Tech. I mean, they they had opportunities to win multiple conference games, and I think next year they have the opportunity to win multiple conference games. I, I you know when they when they first made the Lance Leipold hire, I thought it was the correct hire because of that exact reason. I, I figured he was going to have a lot of success in the transfer portal, and being able to you know bring those guys to to a stage like Kansas and being able to, you know, at least get them out of the bottom of the Big 12. I think that's something he can do. Uh, again, let's keep an eye on what the 2023 class looks like for Kansas. I think it's going to be more reflection on the job that they are doing their recruiting at Kansas than, than what this class is. Uh, speaking of first-year classes, let's hop over to TCU. Uh, Gary is gone. Sonny Dykes is in. He's put his staff together. He's put a, a collection of, I think, some really good recruiters. Obviously, they got to uh, – Bring Rashad Samples over from SMU, the guy I think arguably is the best recruiter in the state of Texas. Yes, I, I stand by that. I still agree with that, even with the collection of assistants they have at Texas, who we'll talk about here in a second. Uh, this is a, a again, first-year class coming in late, uh, currently ranked ninth, 61st nationally. Texas TCU typically a school that finishes with the third-best class in the Big 12 each year. But again, coaching changes tend to affect those kinds of things. I really like what they've done here. I know you can probably speak on every single guy of, of TCU's class. Just kind of hit on a couple that you think are are the most impressive or the guys that you think could have the biggest impact uh, during their time in Fort Worth. Yeah, absolutely. First, a little bit of context. Um, most of these guys that are in this class were in SMU's 2022 class. And then once Sonny Dykes and Rashad Samples and more uh, SMU staffers made their way over uh, over to the over the other side of the Metroplex to Fort Worth, a lot of these guys just uh, followed them. Um, we can start with the, the Garland twins, as I like to call them, Jordan Hudson and Chase Biddle, uh, two four-stars. Jordan Hudson being a receiver, Chase Biddle being the safety. You know, these are two guys that, you know, were pretty linked during the majority of their recruitment. And, um, you know, when they committed to SMU, it was basically because of Rashad Samples and the relationship that they had built with him. And whenever he went to TCU, it was just almost a, you know, a given factor that they were going to follow him as well. Jordan Hudson is a big, you know, big body high point guy uh, who also has some speed. Uh, I think Jordan Hudson's going to be, you know, a, uh, another really big time receiver for TCU. I think they're going to kind of keep that tradition going with Jordan Hudson. Chase Biddle, I think he's a, you know, I think he's a first year contributor as well. I think he can walk in 
uh, to Fort Worth and possibly start at safety next year. I think he has a, you know, that kind of potential. But then just kind of looking around the rest of their class, they have a really solid group of three stars that they were able to sign today. We can start with the quarterback, Josh Hoover out of Rockwell Heath, which is actually from my alma mater, Rockwell Heath. So I promise I'm not biased here in saying <laughs> that I think he, he was one of the better quarterbacks in the state of Texas in this class. I'd probably put him in the top five to seven. Um, really, really big time statistical machine. He, he put up a ton of stats um, uh, in his three year starting and he won the Landry Award um, this year as the best player in the DFW area that uh, Tom, the Tom Landry Award Foundation gives out every year so um you know he was definitely productive at the 6a level in, in texas i think that translates to a place like tcu very well and also major everhart um one of the fastest players you will find in the entire country not only the state of texas uh he's a running back wide receiver gadget type player out of um at amarillo tuscosa i think he's going to play a, a role similar to what the, the we saw jalen rager play at tcu uh, but obviously you know with the sunny dykes uh, style and um, you know a little bit more uh, uh, action in that offense uh, hopefully for major everhart but i think he's a guy that can contribute year one and if it's not on offense it's 100 on special teams just because of how fast he is uh, i mean he was beating guys like Vernon thompson and trap meets last year so um you know i'm excited to see what he can do when he gets to campus but again just kind of looking around this this uh this class michael a bucano coyote the edge guy from rowlett really really strong pickup for tcu kyron chambers this is a guy that got in on late uh, out of south oak cliff he'll be playing for a state championship this upcoming weekend he was a former arizona commit and uh, tcu was able to grab him you know at the last second I think that's a really good last second ad and then also Paul Oyewali I'm, he's ranked number 952 in the composite and he doesn't even have a uh, profile picture as I'm looking at it on our 24-7 sports uh, website uh, but this guy is a dog I saw him a couple of times this year and evaluating other prospects I happen to see him and, uh, you know, I think that's another really strong pickup. I think he's a guy that can get some development after a couple of years under the uh, under the TCU staff and uh, really be a strong guy uh, for TCU uh, up front. Um, and Quentin Harris actually saw him sign this morning at Arlington Seguin, just a very large body. We have him listed as six, seven and a half, two eighty five. I think that's. I, that, that's kind of big. I don't know what you think, though, but I think I think that's a big boy. Um, and then also, I want to highlight their one transfer land so far, Terrence Cooks, um, linebacker out of Texas. I covered him quite a bit whenever he was, uh, you know, going through his recruitment to Texas and covered his transfer recruitment as well. Uh, he was all but locked in to go to Ole Miss um, at, at, at when he entered the transfer portal. He was going to follow his linebackers coach, who initially uh, recruited him to Texas, Coleman Hutzler. He was going to follow him to uh, Ole Miss, and um, you know, TC was able to get him on campus and convince him to stay in Texas and he's going to go to TCU. I think he has a really good chance to play early as well. I think that's a huge pickup for, uh, for TCU. He's an hey, immediate uh, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the chambers flip. They were able to make just a few days ago. I think it was December 12th. The D committed from Arizona and then quickly re, uh, committed to TCU. I really like that one. I do want to ask about one guy, uh, AJ Allen, uh, who was a hard commit running back three-star out of Monroe, Louisiana uh, has not signed yet. Is this, uh, is this a concern for TCU fans or is this a guy that's just waiting to sign till later? Uh, I, I believe he's just going to be a guy that that waits to sign until later. I know Mississippi State has been a school that's really been pushing for him uh, since the uh, flip flop of the of the TCU staff, and um, you know being able to play in the SEC, you know that's a that's a big part of you know uh, living in Louisiana and, and being a, a recruit from the state of Louisiana. So he's going to push to February, I believe, um, and uh, you know watch for Mississippi State there. Uh, you know, again, I know at this point ninety percent of of all recruits sign in the we're just going to call this National Signing Day. It's no longer the early signing period. We have the National Signing Day and the late signing period, which feels a more appropriate way to describe it now. I mean, for TCU, and I, like, 
is this class done or does this feel like a class that they've still got a lot of high school guys they're going to go after? Or is this going to be one that's rounded out through the transfer portal? You know, I think it's going to be a hybrid of both. Um, you know, them landing Terrence Cooks, I, I think it's a really good first indicator of them not being scared to go ahead and take any transfer guys that they can at this point. Um, excuse me. Uh, but uh, I would not be surprised to see them, you know, go after more in-state recruits. I, I believe there's going to be more in-state recruits that don't sign during the signing period than we've seen in recent years. And I think that's just a, a combination of a few things. First off, the COVID recruiting year that we had in 2022, uh, you know, a lot of stuff was pushed back into June as far as, you know, official visits and whatnot. And I think that pushed back a lot of timelines. And I think we will still see the effects of that going into February. And not, not only in the state of Texas, but, you know, nationwide. You know, I think uh, TCU is a school that could definitely take advantage of, you know, those kind of things. Um, and also there are some late bloomers every year in the state of Texas that, you know, arise during the, the playoffs. There's already a few that have already started to, you know, pop and pick up some power five offers. You know, I, I could see TCU really getting in play with those because, you know, like you said, Rashad Samples, in your opinion, is the best recruiter in the state of Texas. And I don't have a I don't have a point to argue on that. Um, I'm not sure if I agree, but I don't have a point to argue. <laughs> so I, I would if, if we were having a debate, I would throw him in the conversation for sure. Uh, so, you know, him being able to pretty much do what he wants in the DFW area and then also they have recruiters on staff that you know cover the entire state they'll be able to get who they want as far as you know going into february i could see them you know picking up five to six more guys my 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 bit on on samples and this is typically my philosophy on a lot of stuff look the best schools pay and and hire the best recruiters agreed totally understand like but i also think sometimes there's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy of this is the best recruiter well is he the best recruiter because he's at alabama or is he the alabama because he's the best recruiter i do oftentimes find myself more impressed by the guys who can do more with less, which is a big part of why you see what he did at SMU. And I think now that he's a TCU, you should only see what Samples is able to do, continue to be elevated. I do think he's a guy who's eventually going to get a head coaching job. I think that's the trajectory he is on. And that conversation leads me to Texas. Uh, look, what they have done on this last few weeks leading into to signing day is impressive. Uh, of their... 17 blue chip players that they have uh, they have signed now. I think everyone's signed. It's not a four or five. Yeah, uh, 10 of those are on the offensive and defensive line, which is, no, no 12, sorry. I think I did my math wrong. Uh, I was trying to count and then, you know, I started talking. <laughs> but most of the blue chips they brought in are on the offensive or defensive line, which is incredibly impressive. And I think exactly the kind of thing, if you're going to be a school that's moving to the SEC, you have to be doing. I mean, this class is impressive. Absolutely. It's not shocking. It's ranked number one in the Big 12. It's number five nationally. But granted, there's still, you know, players who have not signed that can make some shifting, but that, that is a really good thing to see. I mean, looking at this list, to, to ask who's most impressive feels a bit like, let me just name off, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 guys. But I, I want to ask you, who are some of the guys in here that maybe aren't getting talked about as much as, say, your you know, your Kelvin Banks and your Brennan Thompson's and your Brian Allen Jr.'s. Who are some of the guys who aren't getting talked about as much that you think can kind of be the like, oh, this is the guy that was under the radar that Texas signed that could actually end up being pretty impressive? Yeah, for sure. You know, like you said, being, uh, them signing 12 offensive linemen and defensive linemen that, you know, are four-star plus guys. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian's staff, they came in and uh, highlighted that problem very early on, that they have a size issue. And Texas has consistently signed the worst offensive line class in the Big 12 for much of the last five to 10 years. Ooh, so them being able fired. to do, it's, it's uh, go back and look, you know, last year they only signed two guys and both were, you know, um, 
one was a, a low tier four star, the other a high tier three star. Um, that's not what you want as far as, you know, an offensive line class at a place like Texas. But, you know, they highlighted that issue in the trenches and they were able to, you know, fix that problem this year. But going back to going back to your question about guys that, you know, I think could, um, you know, come in and, and make uh, some noise as maybe some underlooked type talent. Um, you know, I always like to point out the story of Jure Bledsoe out of Marlin. Um, he's a kid that blew up on the recruiting trail at his previous school, Bremond, and his recruiting hit a halt after a couple of weeks of him picking up huge offers from schools like Alabama, Florida, Georgia. His recruiting hit a big halt because of an academic situation, and um, it, was, uh, it wasn't even looking like he was going to be able to graduate high school. So a lot of schools had pulled out um, you know, their offers and had kind of quit talking to him. And he made the move to Marlin, got his academics back on track. And not only is he going to be able to graduate, he's going to be graduating a semester early. Um, and he wasn't able to play his senior season because of My transfer rules in Texas. So, you know, a lot of people forget about Trey Bledsoe, but I think he's I think he's somebody that can come in, you know, in the spring and really be a solid contributor and possibly get some playing time next year. He's a, he's a dog up front. I think he's going to be really good for this Texas team. And also, you know, everyone's talking about Quinn Ewers and how big of a um, land that was for Texas. But don't sleep on Malik Murphy, the four-star quarterback they were able to grab out of California. You know, I, I don't think he's necessarily a guy that compete for the job year one, but I think he's a guy that could compete for the job year two. Um, and, uh, you know, if Quinn Ewers is out the door after three years, I think Malik Murphy is a guy that could step in and start, you know, immediately after that. Um, you know, he, he has some tools that you just don't see at the high school level. Um, you know, really lively arm, 6'4 and a half, 225 pounds. So he's got the size, really good pocket presence and could get it off from different arm angles. I think he's a guy that, you know, we could look up here in a couple of years and be like, wow, that was a sneaky good sign considering that they had Quinn Ewers in that class. Um, and then also looking around, um, you could look at uh, Ethan Burke, who Texas was able to flip this morning, actually, from Michigan. Uh, they offered him just 24 hours ago, and they were able to flip him on signing day. He's a guy that came into his senior season with zero offers. He was a lacrosse commit to Maryland, and uh, it looked like he was going to you know, go be playing play that sport at the next level. But um, he started to pick up some Power 5 interest as, as an edge player, and he's incredibly physical. You know, I, I highly recommend uh, um, a really impressive guy off the edge and really, really big size. And, you know, that kind of translates from the lacrosse field. I guess they call it a field. Is it a pitch? What is it? Is it a lacrosse I, field? It's the one sport I don't. Don't, don't ask me any <laughs> yeah. questions about it. Okay. Sorry well, for all one the, of uh, the sports, not the one sport. But... <laughs> Um, but but I think that's a big time land this morning. They were able to flip him from Michigan. I think he's going to be a guy we kind of look up in a couple of years as well and be like, wow, that was a big you know signing day land. So you know those are a couple of guys that I think could be you know uh, under under undervalued guys in this class. Texas fans seem to get a little bit salty whenever you bring up the NIL stuff that's going on for for Texas. And look, let me just I'm going to say this now, so I don't have to say any of this again. Everybody listening, listen to the words I'm saying. Don't misinterpret this the way you want to. I don't care how your boosters spend their money. If it's if it's within the rules that are in place, awesome. Do it. Do whatever you got to do to give your school an advantage. That's fine with me. If you're a player, get what you can. Get the bag. Whatever whatever the term is. I know I'm old and white now, but it's fine. I was always white and old. Uh, secure the bag. Okay, Get it. I don't care. Players, get the money. Whether you play a snap or not, do it. Schools, as long as it's within the rules, do what you want. In honesty, in all honesty, some of these NIL payments are still less than what was going on under the table. So understand that that's the reality. So 
But to to get mad whenever anybody brings up that the impact that that is having for Texas and their run on recruits here at the uh, leading into signing day feels a bit disingenuous, and and it's kind of like you guys are getting mad about it. It's the reality. So I want to ask you this: um, How much of an impact do you think the NIL deal, and I'll ask specifically about the the one for offensive linemen, has had on their run on offensive linemen signing with this class? Yeah, I think it's certainly contributed, but. You know, if you look at the history of the offensive line coach, Kyle Flood, and his, you know, history of being able to recruit guys, I think even without the NIL deal, he probably would have signed a pretty decent class, but it definitely would not be the class that he has right now. Um, you know, there are a couple of guys I can point to, and I don't want to name specifics, just based on the specifics of the situation of each recruitment. Um, but however, you know, I think two of the three guys they signed this week probably would have ended up in the class, but one of them probably would not have uh, for the NIL deal. Um, and I think that's going to help them, you know, going into February. They still got a couple of offensive line targets on the board. Only Gothel will be deciding later today uh, as we're recording. And then Devon Campbell will be deciding in February, a five-star offensive lineman who could be, you know, one of the biggest signees in Texas history if they're able to land him. So, you know, I think it certainly helps. But at the end of the day, I think Kyle Flood's, you know, recruiting ability has really been what's helped Texas's offensive line class. So, Steve, it's not that we don't want to give Texas credit, but it – you know, Absolutely. You gotta you gotta it's weigh both things. Like <laughs> yeah. there is there are going to be a couple of guys. Like if the numbers we've heard about for Quinn Ewers are accurate, like whoo, whoo, yeah, he was always going to Texas. Uh Nick, before we let you go here, I want to ask one last thing. You know, there's been a lot of conversation about the early signing period, the late signing period, the dates, their effect on the coaching cycle and the insanity that that's become this year almost bigger than ever. Uh, there's been conversations about moving this particular signing period, whether later to January or forward to uh, Mike Gundy during his post signing day press conference earlier uh, on Wednesday, mentioned potentially moving it to July. Uh, what are your thoughts on on this particular signing period and if it should stay in place or if it should move? You know, it's, it's an interesting thing because whenever I started covering recruiting, the December signing period was already in place. So it's normal to me. But looking back on being a fan of recruiting back, you know, uh, before they had the early signing period, you know, I think there's pros and cons to everything uh, associated with this issue. I, I'm intrigued with the idea of having an August signing period like a week before, you know, a semester starts. I would be curious to see how that looks, how that looks. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure if I'm all for it yet, but I'm curious to see how that looks. Uh, I think that would definitely get a lot of guys out of the way before the season that I think would help, you know, roster situations, transfer portal situations. I think that could give coaches a lot more time to, you know, figure out what they need as far as, you know, going forward in December or, or February, whatever. Um, but I, I think the February signing period is, is something that definitely needs to stay in place regardless, whether they, you know, take away the early signing period, move it up, um, you know, whatever. I think the February period needs to stay in place just because there are a lot of kids who can't get out to visits during the season, whether it be for, you know, um, uh, financial situations or, you know, geographic situations. Um, and having that January period to be able to take visits, I think still helps those, uh, you know, um, underprivileged kids, I guess, and a better way to say it. Um, so the February signing period, I'm all for it. But as far as the early signing period, I am open to, you know, figuring out what would be best for um, not only kids, but uh, uh, schools as well, because it's, it's, it really hurts schools. And when it hurts schools, it hurts kids on the program at the same time. Um, and, you know, kids are forced out the door when, you know, they really don't need to be. So <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how that works. 
Absolutely. Um, Nick, appreciate your time as always. Always appreciate having you on here, especially during this time of year. I know you guys are super busy with everything going on. Everybody do yourself a favor. Uh, go follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Harris 247 That's H-A-R-R-I-S. He covers recruiting for Horns 247 and 247 Sports in general. You guys do a great job. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I am biased towards 247. I think you guys do the best job, especially when it comes to football recruiting coverage and rating the players. Um, I like your rankings better than the composite. I always compare it to like, it's it's like you doing a really good job on your project versus you also having to have the dum-dum in the class weighting the group project down, but he still gets the same grade and weighted part of it anyways. Um, Nick, appreciate it, man. Uh, good luck with the state championships the rest of the week and uh, hope you get some rest, man. Absolutely. I appreciate it. This, this is starting to become a signing day tradition. So I hope we can keep this going. Absolutely. Basketball season is finally here, Big 12 fans. And for your home for men's and women's basketball, come to Midwest Madness. We are doing game coverages, going over game analysis, different rankings of teams, and consistently looking at the best matchups in the conference. You're not going to want to miss out on all the amazing basketball coverage we have. So go check out Midwest Madness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, National Signing Day. I know it's the early period. It's not. It's the national signing period, and we have a late signing period. We don't know how many times I'm going to say this in this episode because I don't know what order I'm going to put all these in as I record them before I start editing this together. But um, I do want to talk about National Signing Day as a whole, um, touch on the four future Big 12 schools because these teams will, and this the signing class for each of those four are going to be playing in the Big 12 when those schools get here. And then just what was a crazy National Signing Day altogether. Very excited to have our good friend Joe Broback back on the show. Joe, man. Uh, you were a late addition to the lineup after uh, I had a guy cancel, in in part due to the wind and the storms that are going on. And I hope everyone in Iowa and Kansas and everywhere else are safe tonight. But thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah, we actually have some of that weather up here right now, actually, a little bit. Um, maybe not like a t- tornado watches and whatnot, but we definitely have some wind and uh, some rain, which is kind of weird for us Midwesterners when we're used to having a bunch of snow at this point. So, uh, well, yeah, you reached out. I, you know, I responded a little late, so I, I didn't know if you, uh, you know, my time, the window had passed, but yeah, I'm always happy to join. Joe, we will, we will always make time for you, uh, anytime we can get you on. Okay. So the, the first thing I want to talk about is, you know, we know the four schools will be joining the big 12 while we don't know the official date they'll be joining. We know BYU joins in 2023. Um, and the other three are expected to join at that point as well. That, of course, being Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF along with BYU. Um, they signed their classes today. Um, those classes, and I, again, we use 247 here. That's the ranking system they go off of, so there's some consistency. Uh, Cincinnati's ranked 38th nationally, uh, UCF 42nd, Houston uh, 53rd, and BYU 57th, which falls, I mean, in the middle of the pack of the new Big 12. I mean, Texas Tech is at 40th, uh, Baylor's at 32nd, uh, Kansas State down at 59th. So they fall kind of in the middle of that pack. I want to start with this. Um, again, as I mentioned, this class that is joining these schools, unless unless they transfer after year, are, are most likely going to be playing in the Big 12 here in a couple of seasons. So looking at, at the classes they've signed, um, I mean, how how much do you think this class will help them when they arrive in the Big 12? Or are they is it still not good enough for 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 competing kind of like we saw TCU struggled when they got here and West Virginia struggled when they got here. Yeah. I think it's still a combination of both. Honestly, I think that you're still seeing kind of, uh, well, at least for the three AAC schools, 
you're still kind of seeing like that AAC talent, if you will. Uh, but you're also seeing benefits of that move to the Big 12. And uh, Houston head coach Dana Holgerson even said himself that he said that the move to the Big 12 helped them in the recruiting class because they were able to tell these kids that, hey, you're going to be playing in a Power 5 conference in a little bit. So don't look at it as, yeah, we're in the AAC right now because once you become a starter, uh, if it takes a year or two, you know, it's then you're eventually going to be playing in that Big 12. So he himself even added that that's that, that was a major factor on the recruiting trail. That, I mean, Houston added two four-star recruits today to move them all the way up from uh, 75 to 55 at one point during the day. Uh, and so that, you know, they made a big jump because they were able to land a couple of guys who Dana said both could be day one starters if they really want to put their heads to it. Uh, so I think that it definitely had an impact on the big 12 or on the recruiting class. I should say one thing I'm curious about is when this move to the big 12 happens uh, and then say when Oklahoma and Texas moved to the SEC, I'm really interested to see how that impacts they're recruiting then as well. I think that's a change that I'm interested to see because when you're looking at, you know, you say when you add program conference, you, you add kind of areas that you can recruit. Uh, I think that UCF is an interesting addition because I don't really know how many of these programs in the big 12 are going to be going down to Florida uh, just because, I mean, everybody goes to Florida, everybody recruits Florida, but there's not going to really, really be a big 12 team that's, heavy down in that area besides UCF. So I'm curious to see, is that an advantage for UCF? Does, you know, if, if Gus Malzahn is still there, is he going to get kids where he's like, Hey, instead of going to the fifth or sixth best team in the sec, why don't you come compete for a big 12 championship? Uh, and so some of those four, maybe even five-star recruits could say, Hey, I don't want to go to Texas or Oklahoma because they're just not going to be competing for an SEC championship. And maybe that works in its benefit to say like, Hey, you're going to work for championships here uh, and you can still get everything that you want to do by still being in a power five conference. Um, To that comment about Florida. I mean, Iowa state's got five members of this current class in the state of Florida, including their, their second highest rated player. Who's a, who's a wide receiver. Uh, West Virginia, two of their top three-rated players in their class, according to 247, including their top-rated player, uh, Jacoby Spells, who's a cornerback out of uh, Fort Lauderdale, is out of Florida. they got four guys out of Florida. So I mean, if you want to say that the two schools I've thought that the addition of UCF would benefit the most based off of their recruiting trends are going to be West Virginia, who I think should ask for a, we want to play UCF every year because it benefits us. And the same thing for Iowa State. If you've got two teams that recruit Florida already, I mean, when we start talking about how the schedule and all is going to line up, I, I'm really interested to see that I mean, there's so much that goes into it. And I'm like, if I'm Iowa State and West Virginia, can we please play UCF on an annual basis? Because we want to be playing a team in Florida every other year down there because it's going to help with our recruiting. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, like I said, when you add a team from a different state that you maybe touch on a little bit, like those two programs, you're, you're going to benefit even more because then those kids are familiar with, hey, we, you know, West Virginia, who, who's that right now is probably what they're saying. But if you play at UCF, like you said, if you travel down to UCF, then you're like, hey, we're this West Virginia. You, you're in the same conference as us. And, you know, they get more familiar with those programs. So, yeah, I, I think it definitely there are benefits for both sides. Uh, even like like you said, Iowa State and West Virginia are t- two teams that I think definitely benefit uh, from from this move and from this addition.
It's the same that I've thought I've had when, because I'm, I'm really interested in how they set the scheduling. If they're going to do two divisions, it's going to be blah, but whatever. Like if I'm OSU, if I'm Texas Tech, if I'm TCU, like I want to play BYU because I want to go get into Utah because there's there there is talent there in Utah and Arizona. And for BYU, I want to get into Texas. I want to be recruiting in Texas. I want to be able to pull some of those kids out of time. I mean, you, BYU is unique because it's the Mormon school, but getting out to the West Coast for those other Big 12 schools, I think is going to be beneficial to them as Texas just becomes harder and harder to recruit in. Everyone's trying to get into it. The SEC has even more access with Texas. So like, I think that's a space that current Big 12 schools... I, I, the four additions to the conference, I think from a football standpoint alone, you get four quality programs. You look at the recruiting classes, they would be the top four in the AAC if they were all in the AAC. Um, and I think it benefits from a recruiting standpoint for teams that will still be in the Big 12 that are there currently. Yeah, there's so many different angles. One of the things that I was thinking about, you brought up BYU and recruiting Utah. And I feel like, you know, we talk about California, Texas, Louisiana, Georgia, Florida. Like you talk about the main ones, uh, main talent uh, states, if you will. Uh, I think Utah has a ton of talent that we don't really talk about that much. You look at BYU's class, even uh, it's, you know, like, like you said, kind of the middle of the pack, but there's a ton of talent in that state and I, I don't think that we really discussed it that much because we're all talking about uh you know the florida kids the texas kids you know like the four and five star kids they we always talk about but utah is definitely a state that has kind of some diamonds in the rough if you will and i think like you said yeah byu is looking to get into texas i think one thing too is with when you add houston while well, you're not like adding houston for like a texas tech or you know some of those texas schools like it's probably not adding anything in terms of recruiting Texas, but you kind of get into that Louisiana area because Houston is so close to it. And there's some Louisiana kids that have made impact plays uh, and had some good years for Houston. So that's another thing to kind of look at is like those neighboring States. Now that you're getting into these programs that are in those States, you can kind of look at, Hey, who else is kind of around them that we might be able to just, you know, kind of go in and pick and bring over a program. So I think there's, yeah, there's just so many opportunities because you're adding just programs from kind of all, all around the country that you didn't have before. And now you have the opportunity to put your brand into those States by playing those teams and getting more kids uh, familiar with those programs and, and potentially even getting better recruits. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in Arizona, we've talked a bit about Arizona is becoming a great place to recruit. There's a ton of talent there, and it is a transplant state. It is not a bunch of, of native Arizonans who are all Arizona and Arizona State graduates. Like, And that's, you know, everyone's like, why can't Arizona and Arizona State keep all these kids here? Because their their families aren't Arizona Arizona State fans. They're from all over the place, right. um, which makes them easier to pull out of those states to come to your school so getting access to arizona utah i think those are all really good things i i am so obviously there's been some impact for for the four schools coming in i I, i'm curious when do you think you start to see the most impact for those schools is that this next recruiting class for 2023 or is that going to be not until those schools are in the big 12 and playing oklahoma state and tcu and, and kansas state and west virginia I think it's, I honestly think it's going to have to wait until they're playing those, those teams, because, and you know, I think that the AAC is closing the gap on teams in the big 12 and the PAC 12, but I still think that 
there is a talent gap between those two conferences. I mean, if you like, even without Oklahoma and Texas, if you look at the talent that like Oklahoma state's been recruiting, it's still better than anybody in the AAC has been recruiting. So it's not like you're just like stepping into this conference and you're going to, you're just going to run over everybody. It's, it's going to take some time. And I think that we're going to have to wait to see until, yeah, they're all in there. And then we can see, Hey, are the kids we were recruiting, are they actually fit for the big 12 or were they just fit for the AAC? I think that the, you know, the teams like Cincinnati, if they're, if, I mean, Cincinnati, if they keep Luke fickle and they're going for a while, I have no worries or no concerns that they can step into the big 12 and compete for a conference championship right away, just because he has that vision. He's been there for so long. And I think that that's definitely going to help them. Well, UCF, I'm not really sure kind of where they're going. They're in a a state with a ton of talent, like I said. Uh, So I think that that is kind of a team that could go either way. And then BYU and Houston, I I think they're also capable of competing right away. I I just don't know how long it's going to take, but yeah, I think that it's going to have to wait until that first class until when they're actually in the conference, uh, because we we just don't really know if they're, you know, their classes are suited for that different conference, Um, you know, playing, a team like Navy is not something you're going to have to worry about anymore. I play in a two leg, just like these different teams that you don't necessarily see at the power five level. Um, You just, you're just going to have to wait and adjust there. So I think like, if you have to pick one team, I'm going to, I'd pick Cincinnati as long as Luke Fickle is still there. I think Cincinnati stays in there. And then we didn't even talk about Ohio as like a state that people can go into now, but I think that Cincinnati is probably the best equipped uh, given what they've been doing, especially now that they're a top 40 class in the country, uh, I think that they're going to be a team that can just step in right away and be competitive. Yeah, I, I'm really curious to me if it, you know, when TCU and West Virginia joined, it took them a couple of seasons to really get things going. I mean, TCU didn't come in and just and blow everybody away. Like it was, you know, seven and five, whatever. And then after the couple of seasons of being able to recruit Big 12, playing in the Big 12, and that's kind of what I see for everybody. And Cincinnati is the only one that I look at and go, it, depending upon how they leverage this season. I mean, you had last season that was a great year, and obviously they have a 38th ranked class nationally. If they're able to leverage this season as well in a trip to the playoff, I mean, I don't care how they perform. Like, it doesn't matter. I mean, <laughs> lots of Power 5 teams have gone in the playoff and, and been just absolutely demolished, so I don't think it matters. But I do think just getting to that playoff, they were such a national story. If they're able to leverage that into that 2023 class, if Fickle is going to stick around, and I, I kind of get that vibe that he he's going to, barring like one or two very specific jobs opening up for him, I think Cincinnati is the one poised to show up and and be competitive in the conference right away. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and like you said, yeah, I think it's heavily dependent on Fickle because if Fickle's not there and you bring in a new guy, it's just going to take a while. I, I'm curious to see if, if that's even like uh, when Missouri and Texas A&M joined the SEC, like Missouri was competing for conference championships, which was just, I don't know. That was just really crazy to me. I mean, the East uh, was a little it, bit down when they got oh, there. Was... <laughs> True. Florida and Georgia weren't, or Georgia wasn't Georgia. Um, they had, but yeah, I'm, I'm still just, that part still always is funny to me that Missouri was the top team in the East. And, you know, not that they were ever close to really to winning the SEC, if you will, but they were at least there. So I'm curious to see who is like that. And then who is kind of like the TCUs, like you mentioned, where they're going to be, 
you know, five and seven to seven and five and need some time to adjust. Uh, I really, I'm the one thing that I keep thinking about with Cincinnati making the playoff is had they not made the playoff, they just made like a new year's six bowl. Like would, would fickle have been more ideal for the Notre Dame job because Notre Dame felt like it was the job that he was one of those jobs that he's waiting for. Uh, but the fact that they made, they had a chance to play for the playoff. I think that stalling and Notre Dame kind of wanting to find their guy uh, was really kind of a sign that he's going to be here for a while. And it's it, like you said, there's only two jobs that I think people think he's leaving for. And both of them, if I, if I'm thinking of them correctly in Notre Dame and Ohio state aren't going to be open for a while. So uh, I think that he's going to be in the Big 12 for a while and he's going to get settled in there. And then if they can take that to another level, then Cincinnati becomes one of those teams we talk about in that playoff conversation more and more often. I think there are worse uh, ways to live than being the head coach at Cincinnati for the next, you know, 10 years and, and winning a lot of football games. Agreed. Uh, this has been a crazy signing day. And this whole year in in total has been wild. I'm I'm still not sure it's quite 2007 having remembered and lived through that and and watched college football. I mean, the number of one seeds that went down, um a two-loss team in the championship. Like it, 2007 was crazy. But if you take that's just the games. If you take the games from this year, a, a G5 team in the playoff, uh the coaching carousel that was just the most silliest of silly seasons of all time, the number of, of premier power five jobs that came open, just power five jobs in general. And then you get to national signing day and you see what Deion Sanders was able to do at, at, at Jackson state and the impact of NIL flipping the number one ranked player in the entire country away from his alma mater, Florida state. Uh, and basically, you know, selling himself as the next coach of Florida state, but we can save that for another episode. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what a day, man. What an absolute day to be. And the season's not even over. And we have this, like, the week without football, we get National Signing Day and the insanity that occurred today. Yeah, it's a fitting way to kind of not really end the season. I don't know if that's a, even a good way to put it because we still have bowl games. Or not. But, yeah, you look at, uh, I think if you're comparing 2021 to 2007 like 2007 like you said they had a lot of more like top five upsets but if you look at uh upsets in general which did, you know if you look at i think in 2007 there were 58 unranked or lower ranked teams that beat uh higher ranked teams or just ranked teams in general uh, this year i think i i did i put it together heading into conference championship week we were already at 62 uh and they weren't as many i think they were maybe like five to seven top five top 10 upsets um, but we also had I believe seven FCS upsets this year and 2007 had like two or three or something like that uh, so I think that this year has just been super entertaining you don't really know who's good uh, and you know that leads uh, you know if Cincinnati made the playoff any other year there were always there's always going to be this sense of like Cincinnati can win a game and I think Cincinnati fans believe that AAC fans would believe that the underdog fans would just think that that's possible. But I think with how weird this year was and the fact that a six and six Auburn team was able to hang with Alabama, 
that gives people even more hope. And the fact that like, nobody's been consistent, the most consistent team all year was Georgia and Alabama made them look like they didn't know what they were doing. Now that Alice obviously helps when Kirby smart has no idea how to handle his quarterbacks, but (laughs) you still got to do it. And then you go in the transfer portal and you have at one point, the number one overall pick in the 2022 NFL draft with Spencer Rattler transferring from Oklahoma. You look at all these four and five star kids that are in the portal too. And the portal is taken on like a whole new level. It's just reached new heights in terms of how many kids are in there and how many elite kids are in there. And yeah, this was just kind of a fitting way to add to that. You get Travis Hunter, who was, it's, if I'm the FSU staff, I'm just livid. And obviously fans were pretty upset with that, you know, the fire Norvell Twitter space today. That was pretty entertaining, but you get a kid who is a Florida state lifer. This kid was going to Florida state. There was no question about it. He even recruited some of the kids in this recruiting class that ended up signing with Florida state. And then for him to, to go and say, yeah, just kidding on, on signing day too. And the, to go to Jackson state one good for him. I'm always going to support that. I go wherever you want to go. Don't go somewhere. If you don't want to go there, uh, it obviously helps when he's getting paid millions of dollars by Barstool to go there. Uh, and that, but also and there's the thing. There's the thing yeah. like the NIL effect. Some of this is, and you and I are kind of talking about this, like, some of this is this is the changing of the guard, and some of this is that's a unique situation. Like NIL having massive impacts on how you're able to get players to go to places they wouldn't normally, versus suddenly the FCS is going to start landing four and five stars. No, there Deion Sanders and the HBCU has a marketing platform unlike anything else anywhere, and Barstool is picking backing off of that. We can how we feel about Barstool aside, uh you know, like it's such a, it's, it's both like things have changed and this is a sign of that. And also like, this is also a unique situation that's unlike anything else. Yeah. And it's, it's brand new. Like we're not going to know how this works for a few years. We're not going to have all the answers right away, but to sit here and act like kids don't deserve to be paid more. And honestly, here's the thing. If, if Barstool or whoever wants to pay any person, any amount of money, they can go ahead and do that. It's their money. Let them take the risk. Now, if they get a reward out of it, good. They put their money into it. They took the risk. They deserve the reward. They also deserve the failure if it happens. So if Travis Hunter turns out to be a a nobody at Jackson State, doesn't work out, and then Barcel just wasted however many millions of dollars to get him to go there. And I don't really see that as a bad thing. That's like literally anything else in life. Uh, And like, I think people just really want a decision to be like, oh, we want all the good with none of the bad. That's just not going to happen. When in life is that going to happen? We are delusional. I think as a society to think that everybody's going to pick the decision that's 100% right and there's no flaws with it. And I always never going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect even when we figure things out. But to sit here and act like these kids don't deserve to get paid when any other student can go out while they're at school, get a job and get paid is just wrong. 
I mean, these kids are good at what they do. And I will always be a supporter of you need to get paid. Like if you're good at something, don't do it for free. Like go find someone that's going to pay you. And there are people who will pay you. And if it doesn't work out, you took the risk. I mean, Travis Hunter, if it's 4 million, if he, if he doesn't work out at Jackson state, dude, that's $4 million. That's life-changing money for so many kids. Oh, look, this is the thing people get so mad about. Well, he's not worth that. It's like, they think a things are worth what people want to pay for them, and B, how would you feel if you had the opportunity? Like, you know what? I'm going to turn that down because no, you're not. You're going to take the money, and you're right. going to do that, and yeah. that's okay. Like, that's fine. That's perfectly okay. Like the, this money, and you can get mad about this kid or whatever. For so many of these kids that are getting the money they're getting, that is, I mean, life changing. And I don't just mean like they got to these dumb eighteen year olds are going to go buy a portion. I'm like, no. Like many of them, this is life changing money for their entire family. Like, shut up. Like I don't like. I get you're upset. I understand fans being upset that the kid flipped. I get it. It it's not fun. Um, the fire Mike Norvell stuff. Like, if that's the reason you're gonna fire him because they didn't have four because Barstool didn't come get like again. It's the same thing like the TCU fans that I saw getting like, why didn't we get Deion Sanders? You're like because you're not an HBCU. Deion Sanders cannot do the same thing at TCU that he's doing at Jackson State. He can't do it at Colorado State, Texas Tech, Purdue, Arizona. Like. Can he now? Can Dion do this at Florida State? <laughs> uh, probably to some extent because of being Florida State, but like he can't just do this everywhere. It's such a everything about what's happening there is such a unique situation that you can't you can't set the norm to it. You have to let it be an outlier and run with that. And look, I don't know what's going to happen with the kid. I wouldn't shock me if we have a, Kin- a Quinn Ewers kind of a situation where, hey, I got a bunch of money to go to this school, but I'm going to end up at the school I wanted to eventually anyways, but I got the money. Like, whatever. I don't care. Cool, man. The system is right. set up. If you want to do what you want to do with it, do what you want to do with it. Right. Like, we act like adults haven't been taking advantage of these kids for so long. Like, oh, these man. Coaches who are millionaires, when they had didn't have to pay any of these kids a dime. Gene Chizik. Like we're acting like it's... Yeah. Oh, so many, as I said, we got a bunch of financial advisors on Twitter all of a sudden, like <laughs> get out of here. And it, it's, you know what, it, here's the thing. If, if anything, if you want to look at it this way, if kids want to take advantage of these adults for being greedy and thinking that money is going to keep these kids in a transfer portal era where you can go wherever you want, whenever you want, you, you like, you're sadly mistaken. So you're dumb if you don't realize the risk. And you're going to pay a kid like if Barstool thinks that that Travis Hunter is going to stay at Jackson State for four million and not go anywhere else just because he has four million. Like that's that's naive to think. Uh, and it's just yeah, again, it's it, to me, it's really only going to affect the top recruits. Like I don't think you're going to see a, a someone in Iowa State getting life changing money. I, I don't I don't see that happen. No, I see these like middle of the the pack schools you look at like the iowa states the the minnesotas the purdue's you mentioned those kind of schools i think there's going to be people that like pay kids to be at those schools they'll give them like i don't know i don't even know five to twenty thousand dollars for the year just to you know play but like shoot (laughs) you're telling a college kid they're getting 10 grand just to play football, like in, on top of their scholarship, the only kids would definitely take that or like use it to help these walk-ons that don't have scholarships. Like, I, I just don't, there's, to me, there's really no downside of kids getting paid. 
Like there, there's risk involved in everything and kids just need to be educated. So for guys like Dabo Sweeney who are complaining about the transfer portal and uh. complaining about NAL, like I understand your frustration because this is something new and obviously like new things can be scary. Like it, I get that. It's not like I'm saying everybody should just embrace every new thing because it's, it's going to be good. We obviously don't know. Maybe NAL turns them to be this disaster, but I, I just don't see that happening. But if you're a head coach of a college football program, this is always got also got Gary Patterson in trouble is because he didn't want to embrace that. You can use that to your advantage. You may not get the best kids, but you can teach kids about money. You can teach them, hey, yeah, I know you just got paid a million dollars from this company to come to Clemson, but let me teach you about what you should do with that for your future because football might not be the future for, I mean, Spencer Rattler just got paid a ton of money to go to Oklahoma, to be at Oklahoma. Now he's not at Oklahoma anymore. So what does he do with the money? Can you teach him how to be responsible with that? Can you teach him about investments and that kind of stuff? You can use that to your advantage. And like, yeah, I understand that it's not really about what college are you going to school to anymore, but like these kids are barely getting by enough to, to, for a lot of these kids at school anyways. And they're not like a lot of them are like, I'm going to this school so I can go to the NFL. And I, I get that that's probably not the best way to view it, but a lot of these kids, they need something. They come from nowhere and they need money to help their families to, you know, take their lives to a different level. And like, honestly, to me, if you're not really supporting that, uh, if you're just pointing out the risk and just being like old man on the lawn, like get off my lawn, then like, we're not even having the same conversation. You're not actually worried about the kids. You're not worried about making their future better. And you're not embracing the change that's coming whether you like it or not. We don't like change. We want things to go back to the way they were in our yeah. mind when they were the glory days and everyone Gosh. just played football for the pride of their school and so uh, on and so forth. Folks, the reality is that you think these kids are making so much money. They're actually making less than they were when it was under the table. You're just having getting to see it now. Again, I keep repeating this. The difference between then and now is now you're having to watch how the sausage is made with your eyes forced open and held open to see everything that's going into it. And you know what? It's it's it I don't have to love it, but I'm perfectly fine with it. I'm okay with it. It is what it is. The future is coming. Either roll with it or or fight the wave that's going to crush you underneath it. Uh, Joe, man, I'm not kidding when I say it. It's always an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Everybody do yourselves a favor. If you are on Twitter, make sure you are following our friend Joe, at Joe Broback, B-R-O-B-A-C-K. Uh, he is a writer and contributor to Pro football network as a college football writer you do a fantastic show love having you on during the summer when we do our position group breakdowns you do a great job man thank you so much i really do appreciate your time as always hey thanks for having me the end of the 2021 season may be almost over don't worry we have bowl games by the way we do have a uh a bowl mania pick'em group on espn uh you can look for 10 12 uh podcast or you can find the link here in our show notes but that's not what i want to talk about for the moment what i want to talk about is you have one last chance to win with college football teams and make some money from symbol symbol the stock market for sports that lets you profit off your sports knowledge and your favorite teams on symbol you can trade sports teams like stocks and every time your teams win you earn cash okay so what i want you to do is i want you to go to symbol.com 
S-I-M-B-U-L-L.com. Create a free account. And when you deposit, make sure you use the promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, for a money-back guarantee. You heard that right. Money-back guarantee. So what that means is that Symbol is offering a money-back guarantee to all the listeners of our show and every show in this network. That money-back guarantee means that even if you lose money in the first 90 days of playing on Symbol, they're going to refund your initial deposit up to $500, no questions asked. So, first deposit, and if you put anything up to $500, you don't like it within 90 days, let them know, they'll give it back. Maybe you just want to try it for bowl season. This is a great time to give it a shot. See, see what you like. Maybe buy a couple of them and then just see if it works out. Not to mention, NHL is going on, NBA is going on, NFL is still going on. Lots of sports that you can invest in and start earning money. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Love having them as a sponsor here on the show. I think you guys are really going to like it. So go visit Symbol.com, S-I-M-B-U-L-L.com. Use the promo code NETWORK12. Your deposit will have a money-back guarantee up to $500. It's a risk-free way to start and start having some fun. Join Symbol, start investing, and profiting from your favorite teams. All right, we are going to continue today's episode we're talking a little bit of Texas Tech and the Red Raiders. Very excited to have Ben Golan of Red Raider Sports, uh, part of the Rivals Network, joining us today to kind of break down this 2022 class for the Red Raiders. Ben, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, Philip. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so let's start here. Uh, obviously, with any any first or first time head coach or, or new head coach in the school, you know, you have to have a kind of set expectations. For a first class, you don't you don't typically see some high ranking class. Uh, Texas Tech's class as of eight o'clock uh, Wednesday night, seventh in the Big Twelve, but fortieth nationally, which I think isn't is pretty good and is better than some uh, at least one established coach in the Big Twelve. Looking at this at this twenty twenty two class, uh, you know, positive positive look. I mean, what are the positive takeaways that Texas Tech fans should have about what they've put together? Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, I think a lot of credit actually goes to Matt Wells and his staff for just the kind of culture they've built and how even when Wells got fired, Tech did not have, you know, a decommit for quite a while. In fact, you know, the only the only decommit of the entire class was Jocelyn Malaska, who flipped to Utah last week. And so, you know, all the guys that were committed previously stayed with McGuire, which was a really big deal. But McGuire, I mean, ever since he arrived, a little over a month on the job, just did a really good job, especially bringing in defense. You look at the at some of the guys that, that he brought in on the defensive line, especially, you know, four defensive linemen, including a four-star, Joseph Adetier, you know, former TCU commit. Um, you know, I, I just think that that was a really big key, especially at a school like Texas Tech, which, you know, in recent years – uh, has kind of struggled at, at some of those positions. So um, I would say defense, um, you know, brought in – McGuire also brought in a couple of really good linebackers, Ty Kana from, from Katy, who was a former USC commit, and then Tavares Elston Jr., who, you know, you just look at his film and he's just trying to take everyone's heads off. So um, I think that was a really good underrated pickup there from from Alabama too. Uh, a couple of guys they were able to land late. Uh, Trevon McAlpin, who who announced his decision just, um, I think I believe it was today uh, or last night. I, I get a little bit torn around. And then I believe Seth Martin was also one who committed um, just today as well. Um, I mean, any any big surprises in these, or were these guys that Texas Tech coaches felt pretty good they were going to be able to to get today? 
Yeah, and to add to that group, Landon Holiday too. He also announced today. So all three of those guys were were signing day decisions. Um, we'll start with Trevon McAlpine. That was a, a Zarnell Fitch. Um, he's the new defensive line coach at Texas Tech. He was formerly at TCU, where McAlpine was committed. Um, and you know, the the crazy deal about McAlpine is he he actually never got to visit Texas Tech. Because he, he was playing in the in the Mississippi Alabama All Star Game this past weekend, and so he signed, you know, sight unseen as an out of state guy, which uh, is pretty rare, I would say, especially for a guy like him who had 25 plus offers. Um, and I just think he, you know, he his rankings are going to go up too because he was one of the best players at that All Star Game. Seth, uh, Seth Martin, probably an, an interior guard center prospect. Um, another former TCU commit. So, you know, between him, McAlpine, and Adedier, that, that's three, you know, guys from TCU that, that Texas Tech was able to flip. And, and he's just a, a, a mean, a, a tough, uh, you know, guard prospect, like I said. So I, I think that, that he helps, you know, build the O-line, which is obviously, you know, a pretty important position. Uh, you mentioned Hellevy. I am I'm a big fan of his. Really like the tape that I've seen from him. Uh, getting him late and being literally the third highest rated guy they have in this class. I mean, how big was his commitment today? Yeah, it was huge because you know he was going to go to Oregon. They obviously had a coaching change. Um, he decommits last week, and he had one weekend to take a visit, and he decided to go see what Texas Tech had to offer. And, you know, Texas Tech, uh, they just announced Tim DeRuiter uh, as the new defensive coordinator. Obviously, he was at Oregon last year. So, you know, that, that was kind of the connection there. And, and they were able to get to get Holiday. And, and he, you know, I think he could be a guy who plays right away just because Texas Tech loses, you know, two starting safeties, uh, Eric Monroe, Muddy Waters, both of those guys are seniors. So uh, I think Holiday could be a guy who, you know, makes a, an early impact. Uh, two guys who are committed have not signed yet, Eric Gray out of Amarillo and Gavin Freeman out of uh, Oklahoma City. Um, is this a we're just waiting until February, or, or is there any concern there? Yeah, I, I do. Freeman is uh, is waiting until February. I mean, I, I, I've received feedback that, you know, he, he's still very excited about tech. He just, you know, had finals, and, and it was a scheduling issue as far as signing with the early signing period. Gray, you know, Gray is interesting. He could just be waiting till February, but, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he went and saw some other programs as well uh, in January. You know, we'll, we'll just have to see on that one. Uh, he remains committed to Texas Tech for now, though. Texas Tech has a few transfers coming in. One of them, the biggest one I think is the most interesting, is wide receiver Brady Boyd out of Minnesota. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty jacked for, for him transferring in from Minnesota coming to Texas Tech. How excited is the, uh, is the coaching staff about that? Yeah, very excited, and, and, and he is too because you think of Minnesota, you know, they're up there, they're trying to run the ball, you know, 60% of the time, and, and here he is returning to his home state to a Zach Kittley offense, which, you know, you, you see what they did at Western Kentucky this year, you know, putting up uh, tremendous stats, but Boyd is, you know, he has great speed, um, you know, a 4-4 four, four guy, um, a guy who – you know, I, I was able to interview him yesterday. He he told me he grew up a Tech fan. Um, he had an offer from the previous staff, but ended up, you know, cho- choosing Minnesota. But, yeah, I, I just think this is a, is a good opportunity for both sides here because 
he can play slot, he can play outside, and and you know he he's going to be a, a big help early on. Just uh, sixteen sign or signees in this plus the the three transfers, but I mean it's new coaching staff. They've done a lot of work, and I think it has shown. I mean, just twenty three days on the job again uh, for Coach McGuire, and it and it, they've done a really good job. Texas Tech. I mean, the only transfer so far out of the program was a, a two star back in October. So I mean. Not only have they done a good job here, they've done a good job of, of recruiting the players they currently have and, and keeping everybody around for the most part, it seems. Yeah, uh, I, I'd agree with that. You know, they have a bowl game next week. They're they're playing the Liberty Bowl against Mississippi State. You know, I, I would expect, you know, things to remain relatively, you know, quiet until then. And, and you know, they'll probably lose, you know, a couple of guys off the roster, just like everyone else, um, probably, at, you know, at some point after that. But, yeah, you know, uh, I do think I do think they've done a good job, and and that goes back to the comment I made earlier about you know the lack of decommits is also you know ties in with the lack of transfers. Guys, you know, believe it in, in the program and, and they wanted to be a part of it. Is Texas Tech done? Is this class complete, or or if they have going to add more, where do you think that the the rest of the players in this class most likely come from? Are we looking at transfer portal or some more guys out of high school they're going to wait and try and land in February? I think, well, both. I think they're going to try to add another uh, lineman or two from the high school ranks um, with all the coaching changes from you know from this year. There were there are a handful of prospects who ended up not signing that will be available in February. I think. You know, Coach McGuire mentioned today um, in his presser that offensive line is a position he still wants to add high school in. And then from the transfer portal, I'm looking at at a defensive tackle, probably um, maybe another receiver. And then, you know, you can always use more uh, linebackers and guys in the secondary. But, you know, maybe, you know, two or three more high school and then the rest would be uh, transfer portal. No quarterback in this class. Do they plan to add one, or do they feel good about what they have on the roster right now? Yeah, that's a great question because clearly that you know they went after Quinn Ewers. That was a that was the big news of last week. He chose Texas. Um, I don't see them adding a high school guy. Uh, they have Baron Morton. They they have Donovan Smith. Both of those guys are freshmen, and and then Tyler Shuck, uh, who you know if he gets this year back, will have three years of eligibility left. So uh, I do think they like the three um, quarterback is always a position you would like to add one if possible. So, you know, Zach Hilly's only been offensive coordinator for about a week, week and a half. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing, you know, what his plan is as far as adding, you know, does he look to the portal a Juco maybe, or, or, you know, is he really content with the three, uh, you know, quarterbacks they have on campus? Uh, I'm going to wrap up with, with two questions for you here. First one is, you know, I, I haven't seen Coach McGuire's post-signing press conference yet, so I don't know if he's had a chance to talk about this, so I'm sure somebody asked him. But I, I am curious, you know, uh, uh, Texas, obviously know all of the efforts that their boosters have put together in, in, in NIL offers, especially at offensive line and, and across the board. Uh, we haven't seen quite that level um, in some of the other Big 12 schools. I know TCU has had some some talk today about some things that they might want to try and do. I mean, with Texas Tech, has Coach McGuire talked at all about maybe efforts that the school or the boosters or that they're trying to do to help, you know, get into the NIL a bit more and to, to help them on the recruiting trail? Yeah, Coach McGuire hasn't talked about it. I, I do, you know, I, covering this team, I, I do see the 
all the individual players, um, you know, several of them post their, their individual deals or what have you. I do know the, the offensive line um, does also have, as a unit, they have an NIL deal um, with, with, uh, with Cody Campbell and his company, um, Double Eagle Energy. He's a, he's a former offensive lineman at Tech himself. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, overall, you, did, you mentioned Texas. You see those crazy numbers, each lineman making, you know, $150,000 or whatever it is. So, um, but I don't see tech operating in that space yet, but, you know, we'll see. Last thing, you know, it's been a big topic the last few weeks, National Signing Day coming in December, the impact that it has had both for the players uh, with coaching changes, I mean, which were already rampant, but the insanity of this coaching cycle, you, you see what it's doing to recruiting conversation has been about moving this particular one uh kansas state coach climate has talked about it gundy has talked about it today i mean what what have you heard from mcguire on the topic and what are your thoughts on on whether or not this particular signing day should be should be moved or some change should be made yeah yeah i i personally uh you know i see both both sides of it um i i do think you know for the players who who do go through coaching changes you know it's unfair they have to make these rush decisions but on the on the other side you know this does help those programs who have stability you know sign sign their longtime committed kids and and not have to you know fight off maybe some some of these bigger programs in february that miss on their top targets so um i i see both sides of it um i personally like it you know if you're if you're a prospect you don't want to sign you you don't have to sign so uh, again, that, that's your option. So I, I would like to see it stay, but like I said, I definitely understand, you know, them looking at moving it or just eliminating it completely. Ben Gullen, thank you very much for joining tonight. Of course, you cover Texas Tech football and basketball recruiting for Red Raider Sports, part of the Rivals Network. Um, everybody do yourself a favor. If you're a Texas Tech fan, go and follow Ben on Twitter. It's at Benjamin Golan, G-O-L-A-N. Ben, again, thank you so much. I know it's been a crazy busy day. Go get some rest. Put your feet up. Uh, and congrats on all the great uh, great work you've done today. Thanks, Philip. Uh, good talking to you. We'll do it again soon. Welcome one, welcome all. And yes, I want you to listen to the Tortillas and Takes podcast presented by 1012 Network. If you are a fan that is of a team that has 12 wins, going to the national championships every year. They just love to talk about all the success that your program has had. Well, then you're probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you are a fan that just likes to really be in it every week and, and really have a real good shot at winning it, you're also probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you have really high highs and really low lows and really drink quite a bit, you might be a Texas Tech fan. So come along and party with us here at Tortillas and Takes. We're going to sit back, crack open a cold one, eat some tortillas, and as always, we're going to stay wrecked, people. All right. Very excited to welcome Cody Nagel, uh, who covers Oklahoma State for 24-7 sports, onto the show, back onto the show. Cody, welcome, man. Hey, Philip. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. appreciate it. No, I appreciate you taking some time. Again, I know today is crazy busy. This is like the busiest time of the year for you guys. Um but for you in particular, um, you obviously are pretty happy you cover Oklahoma State. This is all wrapped up by about 10 a.m. while everybody else is working uh, late into the afternoon. Yeah, we were just talking before we started recording that, you know, it's nice to be able to, you know, get up. They start doing the announcements at, I think they start at 7 o'clock, and they're usually done by 
you know, at least a little after eight or so. And then Gundy's up talking by nine 30 and wraps up in about 30 minutes. And that's about it. So, I mean, I'd, I'd rather be covering Oklahoma state than a, than a school like Texas right now where you're waiting on, you know, potential flips and stuff like that throughout the day. So yeah, it's, it's an early day, but glad to get it over with right away. You know, nothing too crazy for Oklahoma state today. Everyone that was verbally committed to sign has done so. I know uh, Ollie Gordon, the running back out of uh, Euless, Texas, was the last one to get his his paperwork in. But everyone expected has signed. I mean, it's it. I know they had one guy that kind of we weren't expecting. We'll get to him in just a second. But I mean, for Oklahoma State, this was a class they were really excited about, and I, they've got to feel pretty good that they didn't have any last late minute decommitments. Yeah, you talk about Ollie. I mean, he got a Texas offer. Um, it was only a few weeks ago. They tried making a kind of a last-second push for him. Um, and, and it says a lot about Oklahoma State that they were able to hold hold Texas off and, and keep Ollie committed. Um, so they had 16 commits going into the day. Um, and, and all six of those – or all 16 of those signed. Um, and then, obviously, the the one addition with, with uh, Deshaun Brown, which we can get more into him in a little bit too. But, yeah, pretty – efficient day and and it's nice when you got when you don't have you know any surprises on the on the negative side and guys flipping elsewhere you know gunny kind of mentioned they had about five or so guys that the quote-unquote blue bloods were coming after hard toward the end there you mentioned ollie gordon being one of them i mean it it is kind of impressive for oklahoma state to be able to keep those guys committed especially you know talking about flips we're seeing them all over the place um affecting everybody yeah i mean i think uh you know um, you know, Talon Shetron's another guy obviously was a, was an OU commit. Um, so he's got that offer. Um, CJ Brown had some, some pretty big offers too. Um, so it's, it's nice to see that, you know, Oklahoma state's, you know, kind of competing with those, those blue blood schools for these, these top end recruits. And it, and it shows in the rankings. I mean, they're, I think last check, um, it, it's going to fluctuate throughout the day, obviously, but last check they were in, in a top 25 class um, and, and the ratings, um, so, you know, yeah, it's, it's showing and it's nice to see them hold those guys off. Yeah. Oklahoma state, uh, currently as we sit here at two forty one on Wednesday, uh, third ranked class in the big 12, uh, nationally class ranked 25th. Um, this is one of the highest ranked classes of the Gundy era, but more importantly, and this is a topic we talk about a lot when it comes to the non blue bloods, this is according to two, four, seven, the highest rated class that Gundy has ever signed, um, beating out last year's class, which was until this year, the highest rated class that Gundy has ever signed. I mean, it it does feel like for Oklahoma State, after, you know, years of complaining about the state of recruiting at OSU, things really have gone on the uptick and are going in the right direction for the Cowboys. Yeah. And you kind of wonder if, you know, the success that they had this year uh, or this season, um, you know, if, if they're able to capitalize on that even further. Um, you know, I was thinking back to, you know, the 2011 season, obviously, you know, are arguably the best season that they've had in, in a long time, um, you know, and, and the recruiting stuff didn't really take a jump as you'd expect it to. Um, it kind of stayed steady throughout that. Um, and I, I'm curious to see, you know, these next couple classes, when you talk about 2023 and 2024, if they're able to, to capitalize on the success they had this season and, you know, attract some of those bigger, bigger recruits. 
So uh, you mentioned Deshaun Brown. He was the the late addition to this class. He's a guy who had been pretty silent on what he wanted to do for a while. There was some belief he was waiting on an offer from Oklahoma, which actually came just a couple of days ago. And despite that late offer from the Sooners, um, he picked the Cowboys. Tell us a little bit about Deshaun Brown and why Oklahoma State fans should be excited about him. Yeah, he's he's very disruptive on pass rusher um, from, from Choctaw. I've watched him for sure one time I might have seen him twice this season I can't remember for sure but um you know he's he's very disruptive I think he had you know double digit sacks double digit tackle for losses this year um and you know you talk about that OU offer and and him kind of waiting out that was kind of my assumption is I thought you know he was holding out until the last second thinking you know that that OU would offer and and they eventually did and um it it didn't flip him as as we expected. I mean, I, I flipped my crystal ball thinking he was, he was going to OU, you know, talking to to some people. I mean, you know, once that offer came in, I thought it was pretty much a done deal. He was going there. Um, but the credit to Oklahoma state for, you know, building those relationships early. I think that played a big part in his decision. And um, I think he realized that, you know, just because he got that offer, um, you know, the connection that he had with Oklahoma state and the coaches here um, was, was a bigger factor in, in his recruitment because Oklahoma State was the first, um, I believe they were the first school to offer him, you know, back in like last October or something like that. So, you know, credit to Oklahoma State for getting in on him early and, and eventually getting the signature. Like I said, this is the highest rated class for Oklahoma State. Um, looking through it, you've got some, the three highest rated guys and really the top four or five, hold on, let me make sure I got it right. Top five until Brown are all on the offensive side of the ball. You know, the focus has been on defense. The defense has really turned things around. There's a ton of talent on the defensive side of the ball on the last few classes. And this year, it really feels like the focus has been on offense. Your, your top, like I said, five are wide receiver, running back, tackle, um, Braylon Presley listed as an athlete, but he's going to, you know, like his brother play wide receiver running back and then quarterback Garrett Rangel. I mean, was that an emphasis or a focus for this, this particular class was an emphasis on offense? Um, I'm not sure if it was the, the focus. I think it might've just played out that way, but you know, you compare or you combine this class and the one they had last year, and these are going to be two pretty balanced. Um, you know, last year was real heavy defense on top. Um, you know, I think the top, five or so um, highest rated commits there or signees there were, were on the defensive side. And obviously, like you said, the, the top five this year on the offensive side. So, you know, I think the future looks pretty bright for Oklahoma state when you combine these last two signing classes, um, you know, talent Shetrons obviously could be a, an, an immediate impact guy. Um, you know, maybe he fills in for, for Tay Martin there at the, at that position at wide receiver. Um, you know, obviously they're, they're pretty loaded, um, with the younger guys that they've got at that position, but, you know, maybe with him being an early enrollee, he can get in there, learn the playbook and, and kind of work his way up the depth chart. Um, and then Mike Gundy talked about CJ Brown and, and, uh, Ollie Gordon, um, you know, two kind of different style running backs, um, but both, both super talented. Um, you know, Gundy said that he thinks Ollie can get up to 230 pounds, which, you know, when he said that might eyes kind of got pretty big thinking, I mean, he's going to be fullback size. Um, and that CJ will probably be about 190. Um, so, you know, different style runners, but, you know, eventually you get those guys in the backfield together. That's a pretty good one, two punch. 
Now, looking at Oklahoma State, uh, Gundy talked about they could potentially have nine super seniors come back. It feels like the defensive side of the ball, I mean, they've, they've been developing a lot of young guys. They've, they've brought in a couple of guys to help contribute right away. He mentioned uh, the Xavier Benson, the linebacker, to come in and bring some experience. But the two positions on the offense, since we're talking a lot of offense, that I think are really important for Oklahoma State this next season is offensive line, you're going to lose arguably your two best guys, your center and your left uh, guard. Um, running back, you're going to lose Jalen Warren and, and you know, no, not, no, no dig at the other running backs on the roster, but Jalen Warren was the guy. You bring in Tyrone Weber, offensive tackle out of, uh, out of New Mexico Military Institute, a JUCO guy, uh, and you bring in the two running backs you listed in C.J. Brown and, and Ollie Gordon. And I mean, how how big and important do you think those guys will be to this team? I mean, as as early as next year. Um, you know, I think Tyrone's the Tyrone Weber's the one guy to watch. Um, you know, maybe they he's able to, you know, move it, move up on the offensive line right away and see some action. Um, you know, right now he's, you know, preparing to play for, you know, junior college national championships. So, you know, I don't think, you know, signing day is kind of a, maybe a little bit of a distraction for him right now with that on his mind. But, um, you know, once he gets, gets on campus and stuff, um, you know, I think coach glass will get a hold of him and, and get him into shape. And, you know, maybe you see him move up and, you know, maybe coach Dickey kind of shifts the offensive line around again and moves some guys inside and, and gets him at a tackle. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, Tyrone Weber on one side and, and Caleb Etienne on the other, you know, two junior college products. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, you might see some shifts in the offensive line and maybe, maybe Weber gets in there next season. Uh, I'm going to wrap up on a couple of, of things, you know, Gundy kind of mentioned um, them getting NIL'd, on some guys they went after specifically, not naming one, but a, a guy they were trying to look at in, in Louisiana, um, saying it, it didn't really factor in as much this year, but they really think that next year it's it's something that's going to impact their class. OSU is not a school where we've seen some sort of like school-wide NIL deal. We've seen a few things for some of the players, but not a whole lot. I mean, how how big of a deal do you think it's going to be for Oklahoma State to try and kind of get the ball rolling on some some NIL deals for the players at, at Oklahoma State just to help with the recruiting to kind of keep this momentum going? Yeah, I think that's something they're going to need to, you know, kind of sit down, you know, this summer and kind of go over and figure out, you know, we got to start doing what, you know, maybe not to the extent that what Texas is doing. I mean, I don't think they're going to offer whatever it is, 80 grand offensive linemen or whatever the number is, something ridiculous, but, um, you know, they got to figure out something just to sort of level the playing field a little bit. Um, you know, the one thing that Gundy stressed and that I asked him about was, you know, how much do you guys, you know, preach just the overall stability of the program? I mean, and he answered, you know, if guys want to come here to get an education, to, you know, play football, to, you know, grow as a person and grow as a human being and, and all that stuff, you know, they're going to come here. If they want all the other stuff, they're going to go elsewhere. And that's fine. He said, there's, you know, no hard feelings. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, that all that NIL stuff can be, um, or NLI, what, whatever one it is, I'm getting confused <laughs> on today when just like Gundy was on, on the, um, whatever they are, but yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, they got to find a way to catch up somehow, but, you know, that stuff can kind of be a distraction at some point, um, you know, taking away focus from, you know, actually playing the game and stuff. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that develops, you know, down the road, but, 
you know, obviously they're going to have to do something to, to level the playing field. Last question before we get you out here. Um, Gundy was asked about national signing day. We have it in December. You know, there's a, it's become the signing day with, you know, roughly 90% of players sign. Um, and there has been a conversation in large part because of the insanity of the coaching cycle this off season as to whether or not it should move, if it should change. Um, he mentioned July. We've seen August bandied about. We've heard pushing it back to January, which my thoughts on it aside, we'll handle all that later. I mean, what what do you think as someone who covers this would could potentially be the most effective? Is it is it moving somewhere else or is it just leaving it where it is? You know, I, I, I like the idea that Gundy brought up, you know, having, I think you mentioned having basically three different signing days. You have one in July for the guys that, you know, commit early. You know, you look back to this class, um, you know, they had half these guys already committed before, um, you know, the official visits and stuff opened up in, in July. Um, so, you know, have a signing day for them, for them to, you know, get it over with, get it out of the way. Um, and then, you know, have one, you know, right now in the middle of December. Um, it's maybe not the most convenient for some kids, but, um, you know, Gundy seems to think that, that, that needs to stay. And then you obviously have the one in February to, to wrap things up. Um, yeah, there's, you know, and Gundy said this too, you can't use the excuse of, um, you know, firing coaches as, you know, a reason to move signing days around because, you know, look at what, what USC did. I mean, they fired their coach and what was it week? two or something like that. Um, so, you know, there, there's going to be coaches that are going to get let go early in the season too. So it's not really going to, you know, matter or change anything. Um, if you move the signing day before the season or anything like that, um, you know, in the end, you're still going to have guys that are, you know, committed to a program with the head coach. And then, you know, by this time that coach is somewhere else. So um, I don't think there's really a way to, to work around that part of it. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I like Gundy's idea of kind of making three different dates out of it and kind of spreading things out. And, you know, the guys that are committed early and, and you know, want to get it over with and sign can do that in, in July. Um, and then you have the December period and then obviously the February period to wrap it up. Cody, I really do appreciate your time. I know you guys have been busy today. Everyone do yourselves a favor, especially if you're Oklahoma State fans. Make sure you are following Cody on Twitter. That's at Cody Nagel, N-A-G-E-L-247. If you are not subscribed to gopokes.com, which is the Oklahoma State 247 site, like I am, uh, and I thoroughly enjoy hopping into the message board. I try not to get into too much of the fan talk, but I do enjoy the <laughs> stuff that you put out there. You do a really good job. Uh, so again, uh, go take a break. I know it's been a long day, but thank you so much again for coming on and uh, talking about this with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, so on the downside, it's too late for me to guarantee that your order from Gridiron Metalworks is going to show up in time for Christmas. But the positive side is that the college super fan in your life is going to be so excited about the gift that you buy them from Gridiron that they're not going to care that it's not under the tree on Christmas morning. Because look, no tailgate is complete without a grill and no grill is complete without Gridiron Metalworks. Find collegiate branded grill grates and griddles for every grill with every Big 12 team available. And if you don't see your grill listed or the grill of the person you're buying for, do not worry. Take a breath. Calm down. You can enter your dimensions and get a grill grate or griddle custom cut for your grill. Because everything is custom cut. Everything is high quality and made right here in the good old U.S. of A. in the state of Indiana. Okay. And, and look, 
maybe the person in your life who is a diehard college sports fan, a diehard Baylor, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, OU, Texas, or Iowa State fan, doesn't grill. But I bet they would love one of the amazing home decor items that Gridiron has available, including flower pots, stainless steel bookends, and coasters and can coolers, all in actual school colors, not the just like, you know, it's, it is a orange. I mean, it's not the orange. It's close, like some other manufacturers have to do. Okay. The holidays are here. It's the time to shop. So use the promo code 1012, T-E-N-1-2, and get 15% off your first order. Go to Grid ironmetal.com use the promo code 1012 ten12 ten12 for 15% off your first order you can find the link in our show notes it's down there go look go click use the promo code and look even if it's not there on Christmas morning it is the kind of gift that is going to last for generations and be putting a smile on your friend and family member's face for years to come all right I am very excited to have our next guest on the show uh his name is Eric, but you probably know him as Silites on Twitter, who covers Iowa State recruiting and Iowa State sports. Silites, uh, Eric, welcome to the Ten Twelve, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, uh, we got to talk a little Iowa State recruiting. This, you know, I always try and find an Iowa State guest, and the last few years I have been able, have failed to be able to do so. Here's the thing: I always try and tell, like, I try and get as many guests for as many schools as I can. And some schools I found it is easier to get uh, guests on for than others. I do not know why that is, but it is just is the case. Um, so I am pumped to talk a little Iowa state recruiting. I know, you know, the, the football season didn't go Iowa state's way, but they've got to feel pretty pumped after Matt Campbell and his staff put together what is the highest ranked, highest rated, however you want to look at it, recruiting class in Iowa state history, at least according to 247 sports. Oh yeah, we're, we're we're super excited. I mean, we've we've never witnessed anything like this to come through Iowa State. I mean, obviously we've witnessed it at Oklahoma and Texas, but at Iowa State we've never really witnessed a top forty class, to be honest. And to get it in the top thirty, top twenty five by some recruiting sites, it's it's kind of a dream come true to me and a lot of our the recruiting nerds. And we're very excited to see what this class can do. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Look, I, I use 247. Uh, I trust them the most. I think Rivals does a fine job. I think they do a better job with basketball, but I think they do a fine job. And ESPN also covers recruiting. Um, according to 247, <laughs> Iowa State, uh, the fourth-ranked class in the Big 12 and the 29th-ranked class nationally. Of course, you know that all varies. But as of today, as of Wednesday night, that is absolutely fantastic. And, and let's just start off the top here. Uh, the big one. I mean, he is 6'3 and 270 pounds, four-star defensive lineman, Hunter Dio, or Deo, however you pronounce it. I mean, to me, the biggest thing about this guy, and that's where I want to start, is because, like, this was a straight-up battle between Iowa State and Iowa at, for a defensive lineman. Um, and Iowa State won that battle. I mean, how big is it just alone for the fact that Iowa State was able to, to fight off Iowa for a guy they, they coveted this highly? Oh, oh, it's absolutely huge. I mean, both schools kind of called him as this is the priority guy in the state. Um, obviously, there's some guys in Iowa who are just going to be write-ins for Iowa, kind of like don't even bother going after them. But Hunter was one of those guys who was letting in both Iowa and Iowa State, and he he's a four-star guy, and he's 
the he's the linchpin the defensive tackle position is the linchpin to this defense so landing a guy like him with his athleticism and his size is would be huge for Iowa State and Iowa State with kind of the family atmosphere the the uh the family vibe of the coaches, the new facilities coming in, everything around it kind of just meshed well for him. And he he said it in a couple of interviews, like Iowa kind of felt like a business, a factory type environment. And Iowa State felt like a family. And that's why I ultimately chose Iowa State. And it kind of <laughs> that was kind of a sound bite that was going around for two weeks, like all the Iowa State fans going, yeah, see, we're a family, we're better, whatever. But yeah, it, it was a huge recruiting battle to win. Um, just the fan support that was shown to Hunter. I was, I was actually lucky to go down to one of Hunter's games versus uh, uh, Will McLaughlin, who's another Iowa state uh, commit signee. And he, he really is the real deal. I mean, he moves exceptionally well for his size and he, he's just a mountain of a man. And he, he's going to be a real good one here. He's exactly what we were looking for and to beat him, to get him over Iowa where Iowa, you know, turns out the line of scrimmage guys to the NFL, like crazy to get him was one of those stepping stones that Iowa state needed in terms of recruiting going forward in for in-state talent. If you look at this class, you know, four guys from Iowa, four from Missouri, a couple from Minnesota, nothing too surprising, but then, you know, something that I think most people don't realize about Iowa State is is there just seems to be some sort of pipeline to Florida. You got five guys from Florida in this class. Uh, second highest ranked player, Greg Gaines, wide receiver out of uh, out of Tampa. Uh, throw in a couple other guys, including you know the quarterback Rocco Becht uh, out of Florida, Trevon Howard out of IMG Academy in Florida. And there's some there's what is it about Iowa State that they're able to go down into Florida? And and pull some of these guys when Florida is just I mean between Florida Florida State and Miami alone not to mention all the guy schools in the SEC Florida is one of the hardest recruited states in the country and for good reason but to be able to go down into that state and pull some of the talent they did I mean what is it about what is it about Iowa State that they are able to do so so successfully Oh yeah and that that's all attributed to Tyson Vite and the guys around him and also Dion Broomfield Tyson Vite is the linebacker coach um, he. I know for a fact that he has spent, he was recruiting Greg Gaines, the four-star wide receiver ever since like the beginning of his freshman year. So he's really done a great job in building these relationships from even when they were just getting started with high school football. Um, right when they started to come onto the scene, he would go down there and he would get to know them. He would, he would talk to them on the phone, that kind of stuff, recruit them hard, even from when they were early in their sophomore career. So getting down there and really kind of showing them all what Iowa state is about early and building those relationships is kind of how he got the edge for guys like Greg Gaines, who had offers to Georgia all over the place. I mean, every, everywhere, Miami, Florida state, Florida, that's building those relationships was key to not only just in Florida, but most of this class to, to land them. But Florida, we've, they've kind of seen that, um, with Tyson Vite and now Dion Broomfield, who's a safeties coach and former Iowa State safety, getting down to Florida where they can kind of have their hub of connections that they know in the Tampa area and down in the Miami area, they're going to really start building on that. You're going to start seeing that in more and more classes here um, as 
the the staff has kind of stayed for one recruiting cycle now. They're, they're, this is going to be their seventh year, so they've been at Iowa State for more than a recruiting cycle, so they have time to build these relationships from freshman year all the way to signing day. You know, everybody always pays attention to quarterbacks. There is a quarterback in this class, Rocco Bact, as we mentioned, out of Florida. Hunter Deckers feels like he's the next guy up after Brock Purdy is gone. But I, I mean, let's let's ask. You know, there isn't anyone else that on the roster as far as quarterback goes that I'm like, that's a guy that's really going to seriously contend. Tell you can tell me if I'm wrong on that fact. If you feel differently sure, about, sure, uh, yeah, you're probably right. Yes, but yeah. I mean, looking at Bact, is this a come in and develop and be the backup for a year few years guys or is this someone who you think can actually come in and challenge hunter deckers for that starting spot well i (laughs) i i mean this as kind of i'm not trying to be mean to rocco or whatever hunter deckers is just really really good from everything that i'm hearing so he's kind of the guy for next year until uh, unless something miraculous happens but rocco is a type of guy who could come in and lead a team to victories definitely he's he's probably the exact opposite of hunter deckers to be honest um hunter deckers has is, has a cannon for an arm he runs around he's huge that's kind of his play style he's kind of more of a gunslinger like a brett Favre or whatever but he's also 6'3 240. rocco beck you're not going to get that gunslinger mentality you're going to get a very poised guy who stands in the pocket. He's a little bit smaller. He's about six foot, 190, kind of like Brock, uh, Brock Purdy's size when he came in as a freshman. But he's going to stand in the pocket. He's not going to run around like crazy. He, You can tell that his dad played in the pros for 10 years for the Jets and I think a few other teams, but his dad was a tight end. Um, he's had a bunch of pro coaching. He stays in the proc- pocket. He's very poised in the pocket. He has a super fast release, very fast. And he he throws the ball on time and in the right spot for his receiver to catch. He's not going to wow you with his arm like down the field, but he's going to be that distributor and game manager. And he's a great leader. He's a great kid. He's a great leader for these guys. He's led these guys ever since he's committed to Iowa State. And he's going to be someone when Hunter Deckers leaves is going to be right in there, the thick of the job, just because of his talent and his ability to stay in the pocket and not make mistakes and his ability to lead the other guys, his high school, you kind of, if you look at some of his numbers in high school, they're not very overwhelming. They're kind of underwhelming to be honest, but his, his high school team, other than one guy who has offers to Alabama, his high school team was not that great. And they're playing in a tough, tough league in Tampa. I mean, he's playing Greg Gaines's team, who's going to the state championship this weekend. And his, his stats are a little underwhelming, but he really took a team to go like seven and four that would have gone like two and nine otherwise. All right. Uh, one of the interesting signing day uh, announcements was landing Delaware linebacker transfer Colby Reader, who was a guy that coming from the FCS level was kind of one of the, a lot of teams were believed to be going after him as a, as a guy who really was going to be able to come in and commit or uh, contribute. I mean, what are your thoughts on reader and, and the Cyclones being able to, uh, to land him? Well, I think that reader is going to be a starter next year. That would just be my, my hot take right there. Maybe not that hot of a take. He is a guy who he's the same 
I think he's, this is going to be like his seventh year. So he, this is definitely his final year. He already has his master's degree. He's kind of viewing this as this is the minor leagues to going pro next year. He, from all that I've seen, he is an excellent player. Every, all the work Matt Campbell had to say about him indicates that he, we are looking for him to come in and definitely be a starter, if, if not a very impactful player a guy to replace Mike Rose um, with he, he looks to be a starter. And from everything that I've seen, he, he, he's that six, four, like two forty build, but and people kind of are comparing him on Twitter and other places to Mike Rose. I would kind of say that he's a lot more like uh, previous uh, linebacker, AJ Klein at Iowa state where he's, he's not as lateral as Mike Rose was, but he's definitely he attacks the ball and he pursues the ball very well. Um, he can play any position on the Iowa State uh, linebacker position. We lost a ton of guys to the portal these past two weeks, so we are in dire and losing Mike Rose and Jay Cummel and maybe Orion Vance. We need some linebackers, so a guy like Cole Reader coming in can definitely sure up um, our linebacker position. That was a really big strength this year and hopefully keep it from being a weakness. I'm, I'm very excited about Colby Reader. When, when he committed today, Cyclone Nation was going crazy because we needed him, and he looks to be a great player. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, at last check, Iowa State leads the Big 12 in, in players transferring away from the portal, which is definitely not something that I think most of us expected to see, especially some guys who had been starters and played significant minutes, uh, linebacker, corner, and safety. From, from Before I say what, what I have kind of gathered from this, I'm curious your thoughts. What do you think has led to this kind of exodus of 12-plus of players from Iowa State, which is not something we normally see? Yeah, um, I would probably say that there may be a little bit of a change in philosophy. Um, maybe there's going to be a change in the defense, and some guys were probably not 100% with that change. Guys that are kind of like you, eye-opening, like Aishim Young and Kamani King, they were stars this year. Why, why would they leave? I, there might be a change in philosophy as to the defense and how it's going to operate. You saw that Aishim Young um, – was starting to split his time with a, a true freshman safety, Bo Freeler. Bo Freeler's probably one of my favorite prospects to ever come to Iowa State, and he showed it on the field. He was excellent every game that he played in. Um, and he's only played football for like two years. Um, another, uh, Kimani King, he lost his starting job to Craig McDonald for the last two games of the season. Um, yes, Kimani King had a broken hand at the time, but I probably would say that he started to uh, um, regress a little bit during the season. So Craig McDonald came in and that's one of those things where if you lose your job and, and you want to find another starting position, you might need to leave. Um, and it, it's one of those things where the transfer portal is very weird <laughs> and it it's definitely makes planning for your team very difficult. So you have guys like Ezra Anderson who left, who's a six foot six wide receiver that you could kind of use in the end zone. We're planning to use in the end zone. If he in, but maybe he didn't like that role. And so, so he left. It's, it's one of those, it's one of those things where 
if guys don't like their roles, we had this happen in basketball too, like two weeks before the season. TJ Otzelberger met with a player and told him his role, and that guy didn't necessarily agree with it, and he left the team. Um, so that that may be happening. I'm, I hate to speculate. I don't know for sure, but that's some of the things that might be happening. I mean, it's happening at all the programs. It's just one of those things that maybe it's just happening at Iowa State more this year. Yeah, I, I, the vibe I, I've picked up on is a combination of, of guy team moving in some different directions and honestly bringing in some some other guys that maybe fit the culture better. And, mm-hmm. and we're going to take some starting spots away from some guys who decided that they would Absolutely. benefit going elsewhere. Because um, initial thoughts were like, is something going on? Are we going to see something change as far as the coaching staff? Not Campbell himself, but some, some changes to the coaching staff. And at this point, I, I think it's just, I think it's just kind of an overturning of the roster and moving, yeah. in some, moving to some some other guys. So I think it's it's a lot less scary than originally thought. But losing starters, losing a guy like Anderson, losing a guy like Tariq Milton, um, you know, stinks for Iowa State. But yeah, but I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be okay. Um, yeah. The other thing is like Matt Campbell. He kind of when Brees Hall said that whole five star culture thing after the Texas game last mm-hmm. year. I think he really latched on to that. And I think he's doubling down where not necessarily like we're going to be military and all that kind of stuff. But if you don't match the culture of this building, this, this program is not right for you. I think that he's trying to make it so that every guy in this building not only falls in line with the five-star culture, but believes in it. And that's why they came here. That's why a lot of these recruits came here uh, in this class because of that culture. They wanted to be a part of that culture, a culture of positivity, moving forward, kind of knowing you're the underdog and work, putting on your boots every day and going to work. That's what I, I believe that Matt Campbell is starting to do with this team. And he let guys know that. Absolutely. Um, I want to ask you this. You know, one of the big topics of discussion lately as far as recruiting goes is national signing day is today obviously um the impact that it's having on the coaching cycle we've seen the craziest one we've ever seen part of that because of covid and more schools hung on to guys that are longer than normal but i mean the impact these coaching changes have on recruits and are having on like the, the, the discussion has been whether or not to move this signing day add another signing day we've heard some thoughts from today from from coach Kleiman and and from mike gundy I mean, what are your thoughts as far as what you've heard or maybe anything that, that, uh, that Coach Campbell has said and just your thoughts on whether or not signing day should stay where it is, should move, another one should be added? It's the problem that we're having right now is we have so many brand new variables to this sport that we don't really know how to adjust. We have the NIL stuff. We have all these coaching turnover. Like before, like a coach would get a job. He would stay at that job for like eight years and he could suck for six of them and he'd still keep the job. And now it's like, if you lose three games in the SEC, you're done. We're going to go find your replacement. It's making it really difficult. And now that we have the early signing period that's been around for a couple of years, those coaches have realized I got to go get my class. The transfer, the transfer portal is basically brand new too. Everybody's leaving. And now we have NIL thrown the NIL stuff. It's, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what uncle is going to come and say, Hey, you need to go to Texas and make 50 grand, even though you want to go to Arkansas or Oklahoma state. 
it's so many variables that I think that it's not going to happen because there's no NCAA commissioner, but there kind of needs to be a little period of, we need to understand what's really going on here. And to be able to offer the kids that are coming into college and the kids who are entering the portal, the most amount of guidance that we can, so they don't make a stupid decision. Um, I mean, these are six, 17 and 18 year old kids and the college kids as well that are making decisions that affects, affect the rest of their life with no guidance, money, all that kind of stuff, no guidance. And I think that um, really there needs to be a period of kind of reflection, understanding what happened this year where Brian, like some of the biggest jobs opened up and kids just went all over the place. It's really crazy times right now. I really don't know what to do. I really don't know if you move it back because what's going to happen then? I, I think that the early signing period is good because it allows guys to sign early and it, a lot of guys to enroll early to get up to speed where a guy like Bo Freeler who came in over the summer and basically practiced for a month and then started playing during the middle of the season. If he would have enrolled early, he could have been a starter from day one. I think the early signing period helps with guys like that to, to have more guys enroll early, but it also hurts because all these coaching changes. And I mean, you, you witnessed it. Cyclone nation was about, was they couldn't get off Twitter. They couldn't sleep for a week because we didn't know if we would have a coach by the end of it. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I tend to lean to go back to February, wait till the dust settles in the NFL to see where all the coaches go and then sign the kids so that all those kids can have their questions answered. Cause this is going to happen in two weeks again, when all these NFL coaches or whenever the NFL season ends, all the, whenever those coaches get fired, it's going to, they're going to fire up the Matt Campbell rumors again. They're going to fire up the Luke Fickle and whoever else rumors and all those kids who signed are going to, go is my coach leaving I think that for me probably move it back to February and let those kids who really want to come come in uh have a chance to join the team and really compete but I think moving it back so that kids can see wait for the dust to settle to see if their situation is the best for them I mean there's no point to sign early there's no point to sign in December if you're just going to wait for the summer there's no point to sign even in February. You could wait till May or April until the, the dust totally settles. So I, I, I'm still, I'm still a little split. I probably would move it back to February, but it's there's so many variables right now. You can't even get a clear picture on it. Eric, man, really do appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us today. Um, everybody wants to follow Eric and his coverage of Iowa State. You can find him on Twitter at Silites. That's C Y. L-I-G-H-T-S. Uh, you can also check out his podcast. That is Cyclone Section M Podcast. It's available pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Eric, man, seriously, appreciate your time. Fantastic stuff. And, uh, dude, kick your feet up, kick back, relax, and uh, and good work today. Thank you so much, Philip. And, hey, if you – if you are going to be happy that Charlie Kohler's gone, we got another guy in this class coming who might be even better. His name's Andrew Keller. He's better athlete than Charlie Kohler. He does about everything that Charlie Kohler does. Watch out in two or three years. Uh, 
Look, we'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Okay? Yeah, yeah, I, think, I think let's not play the like, this guy could be get better than like the greatest oh, no, tight end no, no, to no, ever no. come through Iowa State history. And like, all right, it's signing day. You know what? Every player coming in is the best to ever sign. It's the best. Oh, they're all going to be ever. NFL yeah. Yeah. They're yeah, all going to be NFL famers. You know that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Philip. Thanks again, man. Podcast Network.